Good morning, Bethel. Set that there. I'm going to uh, make a plug for yet another book here. The new book of the month for this month and the next is this one, Proverbs, Wisdom That Works by Ray Ortland Jr. And uh, in my own personal reading, I was um, reading in Proverbs and I saw that this had come out and um, I remember reading and studying with a group of people back in Chicago, his commentary on Isaiah. Um, and Greg has used it in their Sunday school class. And, you know, I thought, well, we probably refer to this some. And it was just so good, I didn't want to miss a chapter. And it's a big, thick book like that. And uh, I, I just, I love this guy. I've met him, talked to him a few times. His son, um, son's, you know, anyway, I uh, forget the story. Okay. Um, he taught at the seminary I went to, and then he's a pastor now in Nashville. And uh, it's really easy to disconnect the Proverbs from the Gospel. It's really easy to struggle with how to read the Proverbs as part of the big story. And it's really easy to misuse the Proverbs as um, something where you're just kind of working on behavior management. And... That's not the way to use the Proverbs, and there is a way to understand Proverbs in the whole big story of God's plan of redemption, and this is such a really helpful example of how to do that. Um, so I would highly commend this to you. I have just been, I'm, I'm 66 pages in and loving it. Um, so I would highly commend it to you. Uh, I won't take the time to read a couple quotes, but uh, boy, go study the Proverbs. Go read them nice and slow, which will give you time to read the book um, the whole way through while you're studying Proverbs. You've got to read Proverbs slowly and let them simmer on your soul and say, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, but this is a really helpful book, and it's going to be our book of the month for the next two months. Um, I also want to mention that uh, the Jeff Stark class, those of you that weren't able to go, or if you were there and you missed a couple, um, Peter is putting those up online. So that audio is going to be available um, as he puts those sessions up. I think there's some up already. Um, is that right, Peter? Yes. Okay. And so uh, if you missed that class and wanted to benefit from it, um, he's going to be putting all those those sessions up online. Um, also, he is meeting with uh, some of the folks in our body. The class ended, but he's meeting with some of the folks in our body who were the, the faithful to the end um, of those two classes. They're part of a seminar with him right now, um, being better equipped to minister the gospel to other people, to do biblical counseling, uh, continuing to deal with their own hearts primarily, because if we are not dealing with our own hearts, we're not going to be able to help other people with theirs. Um, so I've heard really good things about how that's going. I'm thankful for Jeff's investment in, um, in, in us and would encourage you to continue to pray for those folks that are meeting with him. Uh, his counseling slots, so just a little update. You know, we did this partnership, and it's going to end in May, at least um, at this point, what we've planned. And 
there is an increase. There has been over the last couple of months an increased um, need. We've we've kind of always filled the slots, um, but at this point it's kind of overflowing. We've had some waiting list issues, and Jeff has met people down the street um, at his office there, which has been encouraging. I'm glad to see that people are benefiting and utilizing um, that resource that's here. So anyway, just want to update you on that and say praise God that um, the Lord is using Jeff and um, pray for him as he counsels our folks and pray for him as he equips our folks to be better counselors um, in our own body after he leaves. Okay, well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we are going to study verses 35 to 48. It can be found on page 1039 in the Pew Bible if you are using that. Before we read this section, have you ever... Have you ever done one of those hypothetical, you know, tease out the scenario in your head sort of situations? Um, like, for instance, you're on a plane. And it's one thing to think, oh, I wonder, wonder what would happen if this thing went down. You ever do this? Um, that's one thing. It's another thing to actually tease that out where it kind of becomes real enough where it kind of catches you. Have you ever had that happen? Where... You think, if this actually happened, and I would have no fair warning, and it could certainly happen on this flight, um, whoa, this could really happen. And I can't really describe it because it's just something that kind of happens, and it catches your heart. Have you ever had that happen? Anybody ever had that happen? Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Not very many. (laughs) Okay. You people don't use your imaginations enough. Um... I hope that maybe you could use it right now um, for the sake of your faith. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, my typical week, usually focusing on studying for Sunday on Tuesday, and then sometimes um, I get back to it on Friday. Hopefully it's simmering, um, but, you know, there's other other things to focus on other days of the week. Um, and Friday morning, I was getting ready for our 6 a.m. meeting, shaving in the in the mirror. I have no idea what happened, but there was some crazy... Was anybody else up at 5.30 on Friday morning and heard, heard some crazy loud, like, what was that loud noise on Friday morning? Anybody? Okay. I do not know what it is, what it was, but it was really interesting because I had one of those catch-your-heart sort of things where, I don't know if it was an airplane, a sonic boom, I have no idea what it was. There was reverberation. I didn't catch the front end of it. I remember shutting the sh- shaver off and just like, what, what, was, what is this? Because I heard the tail end of it. But what happened was, is it made me think of the return of Jesus. Okay, which was a text that we're, you know, we're studying this Sunday. I'm like, oh yeah, oh, okay, I really need to be here. And it caught me and put me where this text puts us. And I wonder if you've ever done that. If you've ever done that when you have that thing, you know, that sometimes happens with the clouds and the sun shining through and you just kind of imagine, oh, it must be like that, you know, with these beams breaking through it. Have you ever done that really where you're sobered and your heart is kind of caught? You think, 
okay, this is really going to happen. And at that point, if I'm not ready, I'm not ready, and there's no, there's no appeal. There's no second chance. Or maybe you've thought of death that way. So if you've ever had an experience like that, or if you just thought about it just now, sometimes it's hard maybe just you know, in a room like this, and man, we live so much of our lives without even thinking of the return of Jesus. And yet it is so normal, New Testament normal, to think a lot about the return of Jesus and to Amen. eagerly await the return of Jesus. Thank you for your example, Barry. Not just your verbal amen, but your example. So if it makes you think... (laughs) Yep, you can't wait. I know, I know. We know it. Yep. So Barry is preaching right now. I hope you're listening. Um, So if it makes you think, what happens? What do you find when that happens? When your heart is caught like that? What do you find? Let's read Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 30, 48. Jesus says to us, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately Open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third And finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, And to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. 
And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we live so much of our lives with a very narrow lens on. We have our heads down most of the time. And... Your son's coming is absolutely certain. And our individual deaths are are also absolutely certain. And we will have no fair warning. At least you owe us no fair warning for either one of those. And so we thank you for this loving word, this loving, sobering reminder, warning, exhortation to be ready and to keep our lamps lit. And I pray that your word would have your intended effect on us this morning. You know where each of us is at. And you know what we need. And so where encouragement and hope and comfort needs to strengthen faith and encourage faith, we pray that you'd bring it. Where sober warning needs to shake and awaken and make vigilant We pray that you would do that by your spirit. And where there may be some who are asleep and they don't even know it. I pray that you would, by your word, by your spirit, awaken that you would strike a healthy fear of you in their hearts and then show them your grace and your mercy to meet their need, their sin, their ultimate need that may not seem very very obvious on lots of days but will be utterly and unchangingly obvious on the day when you return or on the day of death. So, Lord, do your work among us this morning, we pray. Would you please give us grace that we would be New Testament normal, that we would be able to say with Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain, that we would be those who love your appearing, and eagerly await our Savior from heaven where our citizenship is. 
that we would look forward to Christ coming, who will appear the second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Would you please awaken, strengthen our eagerness and our desire for your return, that we would say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That would be the sincere cry of our hearts. Lord, do that for the sake of your name and the good of your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's an outline in the bulletin, if that's helpful for you. Um, First point, be ready. Verses 35 and 36 say again, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Verse 37 also in the blessing speaks of those who, the blessing to those who are found on the alert. Okay, same point, this readiness, this alertness, this um, vigilance, um, this waiting. Okay, that's the main point. This readiness is the main point. There's a lot of potential rabbit trails in this text that we're studying this morning. They're not unimportant rabbit trails, but we can't let them distract us from feeling the weight being um, confronted with the weight of the main point of being ready. So let's slow down, get this imagery that Jesus uses, because he intentionally uses um, a couple different images, and sometimes he shifts um, the image very quickly on us, and you need to know that he's doing that not to confuse us, but to show us a different facet of the same truth, okay? So this will also help us understand what is it we're called to do? What is it he's asking us to do? He's commanding us to do here. Um, We've got to understand the language. Be dressed in readiness. Stay dressed for action, maybe what your translation says. Um, This can be the language of of a soldier, you know, hiking up that robe. Back then, soldiers don't wear these anymore. But hiking up that robe, cinching his belt so that his his loins are girded up so that he can run, so that he can fight. He's not impeded by this robe around his ankles. Okay? But this also echoes something else. Exodus 12. Okay, you don't have to turn there, just really quickly here. Now, you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Why did they need to eat it like that? By the way, how does chapter 12 start in Luke? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Okay, remember Passover, no leaven at all. So beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So why did they eat like this? Because the Lord was going to deliver them and they were going to need to be ready to make a hasty departure. They had to be ready. So this is how you're supposed to eat it. Make sure your loins are girded. Okay, look at the next phrase. Keep your lamps lit. Watchmen certainly need to keep their lamps lit. Don't you can't think right now this is before electricity, obviously. Okay, so you have to tend to these things or they just go out. They can't get sleepy and doze off and let the lamps go out. And this, I think, is echoing some stuff that Jesus has already taught in two different occasions in the Gospel of Luke, back in chapter 8 and chapter 11. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. 
So keep your lamps lit. Is it possible to start to get lulled to sleep spiritually? Absolutely. Is it possible to let the worries and cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches snuff out your light? Yeah. Is it possible to settle into a comfort zone of just kind of some generic moral living, yet with very little light of Christ, light shining? Of course it is. That's why we need this warning and this loving exhortation. Don't let your lamp go out on account of weariness, inattention, distraction, etc. Look at the next analogy. Verse 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Remember um, Simeon and Anna, this waiting language in Luke. Um, Remember Simeon and Anna back in chapter 2? There was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then Anna, she's there waiting, this precious widow. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all who were looking, waiting, same word, for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were waiting for their Messiah, their master, their king for his first coming. We are to wait for our master like those servants who wait for their master's return um, when he's off at a wedding feast. So a servant of a master in that scenario back then has no right to be doing his own business. Okay, he belongs to the master. So he dare not get caught off guard when his master arrives. Okay, so the master, the master's business are his first priority, his ultimate priority. A couple more observations here. Um, notice that the call here is not just to get ready. It is to be ready. So it's continuous. It's a regular thing. We need to live this way. It's not something that you, well, I, I, I got ready a long time ago. Okay, well, it starts a long time ago, maybe. Or it started, maybe. But this is something that, that ought to characterize our lives continually. And the reason this is the call is because, as, as some commentators have pointed out, two things are true, okay? The return of Jesus is both certain and uncertain. And for both reasons, this is the call, okay? So the return of Jesus is Certain it will happen, so you must be ready. It's going to happen. That's a given. And it's uncertain or unpredictable, you could say. You have no idea when it will happen, so you must be ready. Okay? See how that works? The logic of it? And this is the point of changing the analogy in verses 39 to 40. Look at those verses now. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Okay, so the only way, the only way to guard against a thief is constant vigilance. Right? So you're supposed to be ready like that. Okay, so consider just a couple other analogies. Um, imagine, uh, this, this is just the way that our 
This is the way we work, okay? This is so natural to our nature as human beings. Um, think about the workplace. And, and this is the thought as far as how this is supposed to work in our lives. The, the coming of Jesus is supposed to affect us a certain way. So, <clears throat> the workplace. If you do, if I do, we do our work as unto the Lord, seeking to glorify God in all that we do. Then when the boss shows up, we are not scrambling to look busy. Okay? Or, on the road, if you drive in a way that respects the authorities that God has put in place then you're not scrambling to put your phone down, <laughs> you know, hands-free and all, um, or slamming on your brakes or scrambling for your seatbelt when you see a police car. It also works the other way. So if you are a CFO or a controller at a company, imagine somebody in that situation, or an accountant, and if you're going to be audited, that has some... It, it, it kind of trickles back into the now. If you know that there's this imminent audit, it affects the way that you live in the here and now. What if the audit's way out there in the future? Well, and it's not really that real. Well, maybe we can get away with this. We'll have time to cover it up. Okay? So it's interesting how these dynamics work in our lives. Um, sometimes, if we have a lot of money, we can have a tendency to waste it. If we feel like we have a lot of time, can have a tendency to waste it, which is why sometimes teenagers who feel invincible or college students that feel invincible, they don't think about death. They think they've got all the time in the world, and you can waste it. I'm not saying that all teenagers and college students waste their lives. Okay, I certainly wasted a lot of mine. But imminent death, what does it do? It really simplifies things. It focuses things. And so does the imminent return of Jesus. So it should flavor and inform all of our living, knowing that it's easy to get lulled to sleep and kind of lose touch with reality. And if we lose touch with reality, that affects the way that we live. It's easy for life to, to kind of lull us to sleep. We get, and also this stuff kind of grows up around us, all the worries and cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And it can choke out our life. Okay? So this is a loving wake-up call from Jesus. And we can't hold it out at arm's length because we know that salvation is by grace through faith. Absolutely. Amen. But Jesus is saying to us, to his disciples, be ready. Keep your lamps lit. So don't let your theology be earplugs this morning. That would be to misuse your theology. This is for all of us, okay? We ought to be shaken and stirred by this text and its warnings. So, we dare not downplay it, push it to the periphery. Certainly there are signs in the Bible, okay, when it comes to the coming of Jesus. There's, you know, for instance, even just the statement in Matthew twenty four fourteen, um, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay, there are other signs as well. So am I saying that Jesus could come at any moment? Um, in one sense, I'm saying no, because it's obvious that the gospel has not gotten to the ends of the earth. Okay, but that never functioned to say, oh, 
that's not going to be for a while. So we don't have to take it that seriously. No, it's always this readiness and alertness and vigilance. Because ultimately we have no idea when he will come. And we're not going to receive any fair warning, which is why later on in Luke, Jesus says this, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. So this should sober us. We must get ready and live ready. Be ready. So what does that mean? What does it mean to do that? What's that look like? I know I was struggling with that this week because I'm sobered and I was humbled and convicted by this, but I need to know what it looks like. What actually am I applying? (laughs) What does it mean to be ready? Let's look at it. It's a really important question. Does this mean you just kind of wait on the hilltop, checked out of life? Does it mean you need to fast and pray continuously like Anna in the temple? Is it a life of contemplation and study? Just praying all the time? Is it everybody needs to go be missionaries to the ends of the earth? Well, look at the prior context. I think this is so helpful um, because this is the context in which this passage is found. And you see that Jesus has already given us example after example after example of what it looks like. So let's just look at it quickly here. Look at the beginning of verse of chapter 12. So he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And look at verse 2. There's nothing covered up that will not be revealed. There's nothing hidden that will not be known. So live in light of the end. Be ready. You can't hide. So authenticity and this gospel-powered, inside-out living of honesty and transparency is what it looks like to be ready. That's living in light of the end. Because you know nothing is going to be covered up that will not be revealed. So it's really fruitless for me to try to cover it up. So it's a call to authenticity. But be ready. Look down in verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you, whom to fear, fear the one after he has killed his authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So, what's it look like to be ready? To be alert. It means getting your fear in the right place. You see that? Fear the one after he's killed has authority to cast into hell. Live in light of the end. Live in light of ultimate eternal reality. Be ready. So that's another practical way that Jesus unpacks this. Okay, look now down at verse 8. He says, and I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God. And he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Live in light of the end. Everybody might like you. Everybody might smile and accept you here. But if you live for their approval and you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. I will deny you when I return. Live in light of the end. Be ready. Get your fear in the right place so that you care most about the most important opinion in the universe, God's. 
Does that make sense? Keep going. You know, there's this guy that pipes up and says, hey, you know, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Be vigilant. Watch out. Be ready and alert against every form of greed because not even when you have an abundance does life consist in your possessions. So you need some vigilance here. And right at the end, look at verses 20 and 21. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and doesn't lay up treasure in heaven. That's foolish. Live in light of the unpredictable yet certain end. Be ready. You see how this is fleshed out in the context before we get to our passage here. One more. This we looked at um, was it last week? Look at verse 31. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Again, live in light of the secure, all things are yours end of this amazing promise. Do not be afraid, little fuck. Your, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Live in light of that. Be ready. And then you can live in light of that, not grasping on to everything because you know what? You already have all things. And so you can sell your possessions and make money belts that won't wear out. So it sets you free from the little anxieties that often become so big because what's really big is the promise of God and then that brings those anxieties down to size because your heart is somewhere else. It's not down here with these little fragile things that can so easily shake us. So again, be ready. Live in light of the end. So that's some of what it looks like to do this, to actually listen to Jesus' exhortation, be dressed in readiness, be alert, keep your lamps lit, be like men waiting for their master in the prior context. Okay? Now, look at the present context, because there's a few clues there as well. We've already looked at the readiness analogies in 35 to 36 and 39. Um, those are helpful. But look at verse 42. It also opens a window for us to see what, what this looks like, what this being ready, this living ready looks like. So look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible or wise steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations or their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So this ready or alert servant is the faithful, sensible, wise steward who's a loving agent of the master in his absence. He feeds the other servants as he ought. So he's living in this loving, other-centered way. He's not living in a selfish, anxious about what I'm going to eat and drink and wear sort of way. We're going to actually see this point reinforced when we look at what it means to not be ready um, in verses 45 and 47. You'll see the opposite side of this in these verses. But again, this is just unpacking what this looks like because 
on its own, it's kind of hard to say, what does that mean? What's that look like? I need to know what that looks like. Well, look back in the context of chapter 12 and then look at verse 42 um, and you see that it's this not living, seeking first my own kingdom, worrying about stuff for me, but living instead, loving others as, a, as an agent of God's love for others, to provide for them, to bless them, um, to give to them. So, look at what it means to not be ready. The opposite of this picture in verses 45 to 47. If that slave says in his heart, my master is a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the slaves both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. You see how that's the opposite of verse 42? So verse 42, this faithful wise steward is giving food to the other servants at the proper time. This steward servant abuses his privileges and his authority and beats and lives selfishly, beats the slaves, abuses them, uses them, and is selfish. Also, verse 47, he knows his master's will, but he did not get ready and does not act in accord with his will. So does this mean waiting on the hilltop, checked out of life? Does this mean, you know, some ivory tower life? No, it's loving others as agents of the master. Okay, it's just like the point of the parable of the talents. Okay, investing well what God has entrusted to you for the sake of his kingdom, for the temporal and eternal good of others. And when he returns, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, so it's the same thing here. Now, I think there is a primary application here actually to Christian leaders. There is some intentional ambiguity, and I think because of that, there's also secondary application to all Christians. But look at what Peter asks in verse 41. Um, You'll see what I mean here. He says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Now, Jesus does not directly answer him. But the upshot is something like this. Peter says, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And Jesus, in the way that he responds, is basically saying... Yes. All are addressed, but there is a special word to those with responsibilities of being put in charge and those given much, like the disciples here. He does seem to be addressing steward-type servants, not just servant servants, okay? So this person's still a, a servant, but he's a steward servant who is entrusted with the care of these other servants. You see? So everyone is entrusted with some measure to invest. Every believer is given, um, all of us are given these talents. Um, to some it's one, to some it's two, to some it's five. Okay? And a talent, by the way, in Matthew 25 is actually a monetary amount. It's not like, oh, I can sing. I can, okay, yes. <laughs> but that's not what that word means. It's the way it works out, but um, it's investing what God has entrusted you uh, for kingdom purposes. So therefore, verse 48 is true for all of us. 
but especially those who are entrusted with the care of others. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom is entrusted much of him will be asked all the more. It's like James 3.1. This is sobering to me, I know. Um, I'm sure to many others who are in teaching posts and to the elders as well. Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Everyone who's been given much, much will be required. This is sobering stuff. We must be ready, be alert and awake and vigilant in our seek first the kingdom, live lives of gospel-powered love for other people sort of living so that we're not asleep, we're not afraid, we're not ashamed when the master comes, but rather we're awake and we're relieved when he comes and excited rather than Oh, no. And again, that moment, it's, if it's too late, it's too late. The warnings for not being ready are very, very sobering. Look at them in verses 45 to 48. We can't skip over these. It's sobering. We need to hear it. If that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces. It's literally cut him in two, which is most likely a very evocative, very uh, provocative um, word picture because of the divided loyalties. Okay? Because of the hypocrisy there. Oh yeah, I'm a servant, but I'm not really living like it. Um, because he's assigned a place with the unbelievers. Okay. So I don't think it's literally cut him in two pieces. Um, it's a picture of very serious, um, punishment. And that slave, slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging were received but few. From everyone who's been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So, again, here's some rabbit trails we could um, get lost in. Let me just make the point simply. And if you want to talk about it more, we can do it personally. Make no mistake, any servant not ready will be punished. Okay, any person who's not ready for the return of Jesus will be punished. There's no purgatory for unready servants. There are no suburbs of hell that aren't quite so bad. But, just like there are rewards in heaven, okay, later on in Luke, Jesus says, um, in Luke, it's these minas, the different form of money um, back then. Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little, you're to be in authority over ten cities. And this other one, five cities. Okay? So, just like that, there's somehow some gradations of reward. There are also, apparently, some gradations of punishment. Okay? This truth does not soften the reality of hell. Shouldn't, But at the same time, I think it does. What it does is it kind of gives us a window into the justice of God, the righteousness of His character. Um, because I think we know that even though everyone who rejects Christ does, reser- does deserve hell, 
boy, is Hitler's sin as great as, you know, so-and-so's? Now, sometimes that leads people to question the justice of hell. And that's not the right response. But still, there actually is this many blows, few blows. There's this gradation. Um, So just like there's reward, there's also varying degrees of punishment. Um, Do I understand all that? No. That's what the text says. Okay? So it's very sobering, um, but this text is not all warning. Okay? It's also filled with some really radiant promises of blessing for those who are ready. So look at verses 37, 38. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, which is roughly midnight to 6 a.m., so that's the hardest time to stay awake. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. And then look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So this blessing is repeated three times. So we know it's real. We know it's important. Is it unpacked at all, though? What, What does that blessing look like? Look at verse 37. This is just amazing. If this was not in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. John 13, for eternity. What Bill read, for eternity. Do you see what kind of God we are dealing with here? From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God like this one who works for those who wait for him. The Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created all things, he doesn't live in temples made by hands. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. But he himself gives life and breath and everything. Mark 10, 45. This is so sweet. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't need anything. It's equal with God. Didn't consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. He willingly, gladly, for the joy set before him, emptied himself and became a servant, a slave, even to the point of death, death on a cross. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Peter i got to wash your feet, Peter. I'm going to show you a picture right now of what I'm going to do to the utmost on the cross. I am going to serve you with the greatest service you could ever be served with on the cross. And this is a little preview of it. It's a little picture of it. I've got to, I've got to wash your feet, Peter. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I need to wash your feet. If I don't wash you... If you don't let me serve you, if you think I need you to serve me, if you think 
you can work your way into my good graces to be ready? You don't understand who I am and why I came. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, okay, wash everything. So this is so amazing. This would never happen back then. (laughs) This would never happen. The master would never, ever, ever serve the slaves. But our God doesn't need anything. So he's glad. He's got nothing to protect. He's got nothing to prove. He is just this full to overflowing fountain of grace and mercy. And so he loves to serve. The sovereign king loves to serve his servants. So how appropriate that we should celebrate the Lord's Supper on the heels of this text. Okay? As sober as it is, here's the logic. Here's how this all works. Because you can get a little nervous, maybe. You might be getting a little nervous just thinking, oh, so so if I'm really going to be ready, I need to just kind of make sure I'm really vigilant and then, then, I'll, then I'll be ready enough and good enough for God when He comes. And then I don't have to be afraid or ashamed. Is that what it is? No. Here's, here's the logic. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So He came to find us. And when we are found by His grace then we are enabled to be ready, to live ready, to be ready. And when we, out of the the grace and the strength and the life-changing power of being found, when we are living ready, being ready by His grace, then we're ready to be found when He returns. We don't get ready in order to be worthy of being found, He comes and finds us. And then He gives us grace to be ready so we should hear the exhortation and obey it by His grace. And then we will be ready to be found when He returns because we've already been found. (laughs) Okay? So this is... That's the kind of service of our God and Savior. The cross is this ultimate example, and it will actually carry on into eternity, and it actually carries on in the in-between as we're trying to be ready and live ready. Whoever serves, let him serve in the strength that God supplies. Let him serve you so that you can serve in his strength. We don't do this be ready thing in our own strength. Absolutely not. He serves us, and in his strength we love and serve others. We're agents of that love to others. So again, how appropriate to come to the table so that we can proclaim His death, His service to us until He comes. Because we want to be ready when He comes. And the gospel's got to be central from the beginning to the middle to the end. The only way that His coming will be sweet to us and amen, yes, come Lord Jesus, and it is well with my soul is if 
He has taken all of our punishment and all the wrath that we deserve on the cross, and there's nothing left but love. And so because we're in Christ, we can stand when he returns, and we are glad that he's returned. And the only way that we can live ready is not this kind of anxious, fretful, I better make sure that I'm alert enough. I better wait, make sure that I'm ready enough. Otherwise, he's going to zap me when he comes. No. Knowing that security of being found, you want to be ready. You want your heart to be in heaven. You want to live for others and you're enabled to because our God serves us. He served us on the cross. He serves us by his grace in between and he will serve us for all eternity. When he returns, the master of masters is going to gird himself again and wait on us and serve us. So, if you're in Christ, you've been found. This doesn't negate the need for this exhortation. It actually makes this kind of ready living possible. So the title, the order is important. Found. Ready. So that we will be found. Ready. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would sober us. I pray that you would help us not to love this world or the things in this world. It's all passing away. Help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And seek first your kingdom and be ready and be faithful, wise stewards loving agents of your grace, doing your business on your behalf so that when you return, there will be no shame, no fear, but relief and excitement and anticipation and our hearts just exploding with wonder and love and praise. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.